Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. We're in a three-part series called Vision. We're looking at how to live the vision that God has given us, both in our own lives and as a church family. Well, I want to welcome back so many of you that have had the opportunity to join us for this special three-part series on the subject of vision. And I know for some of you, this may be your first opportunity to connect with this series. We've been talking about the subject of vision and we found that we a lot of times think we have to find vision for our lives. We have to find what to prioritize. We need to search out maybe some person to tell us what we should make a priority. And then we have to somehow organize our lives around some of those ideas. But what we've been finding is, is that God is the great visionary. And that God has a way to live life, a way to prioritize life, some things that he says are important. And as we begin to prioritize those things, we begin to see God show up in our lives in a unique way. And so I want to welcome those that are at 1230, making room and making space. Welcome those watching online. Would you guys put your hands together and celebrate all of those joining us, maybe watching this message later. I'm going to ask if you have your Bibles to turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 19 through 22, but I'm going to do a little stop off in Ephesians 1 in a second to help you understand Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. This series on vision, you say, why are we doing it? Well, it impacts us personally. I believe everything I'm talking about, when applied appropriately, it can impact your family, your natural family. It can impact how you go to work. It can impact your, your raising of children. It can impact how you go about your day in the community. Everything I'm talking about is holistic. Yet there's also an element of it that we are a growing church family, and so you have to pause and take moments if we desire to be a interconnected, interdependent, uh, unified group of people walking together and accomplishing God's purposes together, you do have to take some moments where you remind some of you where this is familiar information, where you introduce some of you uh, to some of the things that we have prioritized for a long time. In fact, the subject I talk about this weekend, I'm very passionate about, and it's really been a life message that I've preached for over 20 years. And I want to introduce some of you to it, and I want to remind some of you of it, and I want to strengthen it in our culture because it is, it is the reason why we're enjoying so many of the great things that Jesus is doing in our midst as a result of what I'm talking about today. I started out this little journey by just highlighting this mantra we have called reaching people, building lives the first week. You say, where do you get that? Well, it's more than the phrase that you'll see around here. It's really a way to simplify prioritizing what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Not the great suggestion, the great commission, this mission we're on with Jesus. He gave us this priority of making disciples, of reaching people. It aligns with when Jesus said, this is the great commandment to love God, to love others, to prioritize that. It aligns with the very central message of Jesus, reaching people, building lives. Yet when you look at it, you're like, that's really great, you know, reaching people, people that feel outside, disenfranchised, building lives. Everybody wants to be in an environment where they want more for you than they want from you, where you grow, where you develop. We all like that, but a lot of times we go, can you make that more practical? What does that look like in real life? Well, I had this little diagram that we've been using, and, and it starts with the fact that we're all lost. 
We have a cultural narrative today that we're all basically good and we're basically okay, but that's not the biblical perspective. The biblical perspective is, yes, we're created in the image of God, we're deeply loved by God, but no one has to teach us how to get off track. We just do that really good. We're just really good at it, right? And so we end up lost and we feel distant from God and life doesn't make sense and we don't know how we got here and we are hurt and we hurt others and we are broken and we break others and we find our lives having shattered pieces and so we try to understand and make sense of it and and the Bible says we're lost. So if you feel lost today, I just wanna encourage you with something. You're, You're not lost because you're weird. You're lost because you're human. That's how you end up in life without Jesus. But here's the good news. The good news is that God did not sit in heaven saying, you people who are lost that can't find your way, Jesus stepped out of heaven to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'll help you make sense of life. I'll give you hope and I'll give you an eternal future. And so Jesus goes after the lost person and the lost person is found. And then when that lost person is found, then they need to know how to take next steps. And so here at Milestone, we're helping people take next steps. By the way, lost is not just if you're lost from an eternal standpoint. You may have prayed and professed Christ, but you're lost relationally. You're lost in transition in life. You're just, you, you don't know your purpose. You're, you're just a little bit lost. So lost people, when they're found, they need to know how to take next steps. And here at Milestone, we're all about taking your next step. We call it discipleship. Jesus prioritized that. Go and make disciples, not just go and have gatherings. Go and make disciples, and so we prioritize that. We try to help people take steps through small groups, through our growth track. We have an intentional way to help you start your journey in environments that are specifically designed to help you start getting traction, help you learn to read your own Bible, not just professional Christian people who know how to read it. We want you to know how to read it. We want you to know how to use it. We want it to work in your family and with your kids, so we help you take next steps And then ultimately, a group of people taking next steps under the banner of Jesus Christ, committed to his mission, his desire, they ultimately become a spiritual family. So this week, I wanna highlight that. And in fact, I I have those green little part of it is just, just just give you next level. Any next level people, you're like, man, I'd like to take those steps. But here's where it gets powerful when you help the lost person take the next step, when you help the person engage with their Bible. That's how you really grow. I had a lady after Saturday night church, she came up to me and said, everything you've preached I've experienced. She said, but I experienced it so much deeper when I started leading my own small group, when I started helping other people, because that's just how life works. And that's when it gets real and it gets awesome. But this idea of spiritual family may be a new concept to some of you, and you'll hear us talk about it, Man, I wanna unpack that a little bit this weekend, that final thing. What is that? What does that look like? How do we understand that? I wanna wanna unpack it. Because here's something you need to understand. A group can be a group, but a group is not always a spiritual family. It's like this the other day, I was riding down the road with my youngest two. I got two in college, I got two at home. I'm riding down the road with my freshman, Lauren Elizabeth, and my my youngest who's in third grade now, Lainey Kate, and they like to play trivia. They like, my mom mom is the question answerer, mom gets the trivia questions, and then we play trivia, they like to play trivia with dad, and I don't come from the school where you let your kids win. I don't come from the school where you get a trophy just because you woke up. 
I don't come from that. I come from the school, you dominate them until they have to put you in a nursing home and you can't beat them anymore. You just, just dunk on them, just, 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 just get some of that. So I'm playing to win whatever I'm playing, you know what I'm saying? So I'm playing to win. And, 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 and they get this, right? So they start asking questions that uh, make dad at a disadvantage because they ask a lot of pop culture questions and dad's not cool. Dad can't even keep up with cool. Dad can't even see cool. So dad doesn't know about pop, so dad loses. But when you get to the science questions, man, let me just tell you, dad starts dominating now. Dad knows the science. He likes really, uh, biology, it's over. Animals, oh, 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 it's over on the animals. Cause see, dad's not cool. He just watches ESPN and National Geographic. So dad has watched lots of animal shows. Dad knows about animals. So dad knows, they don't know, but dad knows that a group of geese is a gaggle. They don't know. So dad knows about a group of geese is a gaggle. Dad knows that a group of crows is a murder. You didn't know that, but now you do know that. And dad knows, this is really fascinating, a group of owls is a parliament. A parliament, a group of owls. You're like, I thought it'd just be like a flock of owls. No, it's a parliament. So dad knows this, so dad's winning. But here's something else dad knows. After 20 plus years of ministry, here's what dad knows. A group of people gathering together to listen to spiritual information does not necessarily make a spiritual family. Dad knows that there's more to this thing and it has to be intentional. That just gathering a group of people does not necessarily make that group of people into a family that loves unconditionally, that reciprocates, that's not disposable relationships, that pours their life out for others, and that has the type of relationship that they get over offenses, they get past their insecurities, and they live their, their lives for a higher calling to serve someone other than themselves that makes for a powerful life. But see, just because you gather doesn't make you a family. So some of you are like, I wanna know a little bit more about that, and I want you to know that there's a thirst for it in our culture today. There's a hunger for it. Now remember, I'm not, I'm not just starting this. In fact, it's hard to start this at my phase in life. It's really what's tragic about it. You can't just all of a sudden say, look, there's been no family, but now we're just gonna be a family. Let's act like family. But for 20 plus years, this is what I've prioritized, and little did I know, that there would even be like this cultural moment today where I find that this message that I've been sharing, people are hungry for it more than ever before. You're like, why are they hungry for it? A lot of people are like, man, the Bible's kinda out of date. How are we gonna get the Bible to connect with our culture? Well, let me tell you, this is one place where it connects. Because social mobility has displaced people from relationships. We live in a globalized world today, so people are moving. There's, there's chances of people, are jobs and moving and transition all over our culture today. A major publication the other day had on its front page, Texafornia. Welcome Californians to the promised land. We receive you, God bless you, you're here. I heard a Keller realtor call it Kellerfornia. So there's this, 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 this mobile, just socially mobile, not so much 50, 60, 70 years ago. You grew up around uncles and aunts, nieces and nephews, you had all of this. You know, the center of the, the town was the school, the school your dad went to, the school your uncle went to. 
And there was the church, the little white building with the steeple. There's the church, there's the steeple. Open the doors, there's no people, they're all fishing. But anyway, we had the building. And so life moved around a, a centric sort of relational type culture. And so there's lots of mobility in our culture. So people today are hungry more than ever before. A term I learned a few years, years ago is called crowded loneliness. With the urbanization of our culture, people are moving to city centers, and so they're around more people than they've ever been around. They're passing more people than they've ever passed. There's lines, there's traffic, there's people, there's neighborhoods full of people. People are everywhere, and I'm around more people. Imagine, the math doesn't add up. I'm around more people than I've ever been around, but I'm more lonely than I've ever been. Facebook, statistic 2014, I found that the average person has 338 Facebook friends. So you have this virtual world where you interact with people, you have a place to distribute information, to show them what you bought at the grocery store, to tell them about your vacation, to interact with them, which is kind of humorous sometimes because you're Facebook friends with people that you see in the community, but you're scared to talk to them because y'all are only Facebook friends. And so we have a Facebook world, but we don't really know each other. We don't have relationship, and out of the same people polled as they were getting statistics for 338 Facebook friends, 25% of the population in 2014 that they polled said, do you have a person who cares deeply about you, who prays for your children, who prays for you, who walks with you, who stands with you, would be there in your moment of crisis? 25% said, I have zero of people like that but I got 338 Facebook friends. Virtual world has made people more hungry, more thirsty for spiritual family along the way. It's the culture we live in and our culture is moving more and more towards personalization. Now don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I believe there's a personalized side, there, there's obviously a personal relationship we have with God. There, there's, a, there's a personal gifting you have. There's a personal expression you have. There's a personal contribution you make. And so I'm not in any way saying we lose that side of personal responsibility. But there's an overemphasis on personalization which is leaving people lacking to the other complete part of who you are personally is to be expressed and distributed through the confines and the context of other relationships. So at my house, television, you turn it on. When I grew up, you had three channels. Dad was in control of all of them. And if you wanted, you put a little coat hanger on the back and you could get UHF or something like that, maybe get four, but there were three. Now we've got a bunch and you turn the TV on at my house and it says, Brandy, what do you wanna watch? Lauren, what do you wanna watch? Caleb, what do you wanna watch? Dad's not on there because he just watches National Geographic. He has no personal time. But there's a, you can personalize your entire experience. And with an overly personal world, it's made people have a massive thirst for family. There's a powerful longing. No matter what family you grew up in, no matter what that word means to you, you still are designed and created by God to desire it. You say, is that in the Bible, pastor? It's in the B-I-B-L-E. It's right up in the book for me, come on. Ephesians is one of my favorite books. In my reading Bible, it's destroyed, it's highlighted, it's taped, it's put back together. And it's a letter written by Paul to the largest church at that time in Ephesus. He loved them, he had a passion for them. And so Paul here is writing to a local church. He's not writing to the masses, he's writing to a group of people that are in a church. 
And he writes, and I want you to look back before I get to Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, I wanna do a little stop here at the start of the book. And Paul says to them, a, he has a vision statement. I love this. I love this vision idea. He says, I'm praying for you. And, he, and look at the vision. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, I really like that. Well, that's just crazy. Like, wait, eyes, heart, eyes, heart. What's he saying? I'm praying for how you see the world. I'm praying for how you see God. I'm praying for your perspective, but I'm not just praying for you to see it theoretically, but I'm praying for your heart so that you see it and you have it experientially. So your eyes and your heart make it so valuable to you that it begins to be so large in your eyes and your sight and it begins to change your vision. It changes your focus. And what is he praying for their eyes and their heart and their vision, if you will? It may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Thank God for the glorious inheritance, but it's distributed, notice he says, through this holy people and is incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted to raise Jesus from the dead. And then he goes into an entire chapter here at the end of this chapter in the start of chapter two where he talks about this powerful exchange that we've received from Jesus, that we were dead in trespasses and sins, that we were enemies of God. And it's some of the anchor verses of the faith. I mean, these are some of the, I mean, I'm talking, these are the, the, the main, 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 main meal, if you will. This is, this is main stuff. You need to know these. You've been saved by grace. Like, you didn't choose me. You were lost. You were broken. But out of my grace, I came down to you. I stooped down to you. I came down in your brokenness and brought you unto myself. You were far off and I made you near. And he says this, you can't earn it. It's not about becoming better than the person beside you or comparing your spirituality to someone else. He says, it's a gift. I give it to you as a gift. Now you have to receive the gift, but I give it to you as a gift. So he's building up the power of this banner word, if you will, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the power of it. And there's people today go, man, it's all about Jesus. And it is all about Jesus. But then he says, as a result of this individual relationship with Jesus, he then comes to verse 19 and says, consequently. Consequently. So what he's saying is as a result of the reality of what you've received, I need to tell you some next steps. I need to tell you the full picture because of that, this. Because of that, this is what you should be uh, prioritizing. This is what I need the eyes of your heart to also understand. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Nobody wants to be a stranger. Come on, we teach our kids stranger danger. You don't wanna be a stranger. You sure don't wanna be a stranger when it comes to spirituality and your relationship with God. You don't wanna be a stranger or foreign, but now you've been made fellow citizens with God's people, and you've been made members of his household. See the familial language? You've been made part of his house. You've been made part of his family. Psalm 68, six, he sets the lonely in family. You've become part of the family. And let me tell you, this word family is so powerful that everybody in our culture wants to use it. And I'm not being disrespectful and please don't email me. I, I think it's great if you understand kind of in context what it is, okay? I, I, I think it's fine. In fact, learning about family can affect you leading teams at work. 
and wanting more for people than you want from people. It can affect all areas, and obviously the home, it can have an impact. But I know that a lot of times we say, you know, we are family. The college I went to, they sent me a t-shirt that says we are family, kinda. Like we're kinda family, like I love you, like I love to cheer at the games, but like, I, and I'm not saying I don't ever support you or help you or whatever, and my daughter goes there, but like if somebody in my spiritual family is broke down and in need and in crisis, I'm running across a, a, a fire bed or hot glass to get to them. But my college calls me, I usually screen the call. Y'all are looking at me crazy, you do too, come on. Because I know it's a kid who wants to ask for money. So we're kind of family, kind of. Paul says there's a kind of family that goes down to the level of your relationship with Jesus that's divinely orchestrated by him, that's not disposable, and it's built even historically from the very foundation of Jesus' plan. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, now he changes metaphors a little bit. The whole building is joined together. Notice that, that's some language that's like pretty deep in the Bible. Like God's brought us together, God's placed us together, and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Some of you are like, I thought we were the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We carry the presence of God, but there's also a metaphor in the Bible that all these temples of the Holy Spirit, as Peter calls it, he says you become living stones, you are each a stone in this temple, and as you are placed by God in that temple and stones, it becomes, look what it says here, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a great privilege that we get to carry the presence of God as individuals. I hope wherever you go, you carry, as the Bible says, the fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ into every situation you walk into. Whether it's the boardroom or your house, people go, that lady's different. That guy's different, what's the difference? It's Jesus' presence on the inside of you. But I will tell you this, this is so underestimated in our culture today. When you come together as the family of God, when you get over offenses, when you get past your individual preferences, when you get placed in his house, there is a demonstration of God's spirit that comes and dwells in that place that is unique in the earth. And it's called spiritual family. I tell you, I'm amazed by it, really. I'm really amazed by it. I'm amazed at its power. I'm amazed at what can happen when we see it from a biblical lens. That's the biblical perspective. Some of you, I know, are still in different places. Some of you are intrigued by what I'm saying. Some of you are like, really? I don't, I'm, I'm intrigued. That's okay. I, I know that when you, see, when you hear church, like this is a pastor, and by the way, I'm not just talking about Milestone. I hope you have what I'm talking about. I know there are hundreds of people watching me online. I hope you have this wherever you live, whatever church you go into. But for most people, when they think of what Jesus' desire is for all of us here and what we're doing, they think about preaching, programs, and potluck. Come on, church people, you gotta give me a little credit there. I thought that's where you preach and have potluck and have programs. Oh, no, 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 no. So you're intrigued. You're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Some of you are indecisive. You know God's calling you to get plugged into, but you're just like, man, I don't know. Maybe you've had hurt. Maybe you've had some things. Some of you are inhibited. 
you got some barriers, you got some blocks, you got some backgrounds that, are, that, are, that you're struggling with. The word family is not a positive word. Could it be that actually God wants to change the direction of your natural family by planting you in a spiritual family to help you learn how to get along with people and change your attitude and give you a different perspective? But I know you start a little inhibited by it. There's blocks, there's barriers, and then there's some of you that are invested. And I wanna say to all of you, there's a world crying out for it, and your investment's making a difference. Thank you for being who you are. Stay invested in it, because Jesus is invested in it, and he's still building that holy habitation in the earth today, where his presence fills the earth, in the technological world, where you can get it online, where you can get a podcast, nothing wrong with any of it, it's still not that holy habitation. It's still not that holy built together place that Jesus is building. I know when I think about it, I'm amazed that I prioritize it so much. Now I'm ruined now because now I'm 20 plus years into it. I've seen too much, seen too much power, seen too much of what God does, but I just am amazed that even as a young pastor, I started reading these verses and making this a priority. I'm amazed by it. I didn't learn it in my training. They told me my main job is to be an orator, to communicate. To preach, praise God, come on. I, I love to preach, but you know what? The greatest, most fulfilling thing in my life is not the messages that I preached, but the people that have been built, the lives that have been changed, the relationships that I enjoy. And I wanna tell you, they didn't tell me. They said, when, you, when I came here, they said, Jeff, that's not gonna work here. These are important people. These are busy people, Jeff. They can't get placed in the holy habitation. They got way too much stuff going on. You cannot bother these people when they come to church. They're busy. Let them maintain their anonymity. I said, well, we're gonna tackle them. We're just gonna roll up on them. You wanna be friends? You know, early days of Milestone, people were like, man, that's weird. In today's thirsty culture, people are coming saying, hey, I want to know somebody. I want to have relationship because it's cool to sit on the back row until you really want to grow into the fullness of what the Bible says Jesus prioritizes. And so I'm amazed by it. I'm amazed by the impact of it, the effect of it. And I got to tell you, like when you're a little kid and they make you do a little exercise in school and say, what three things would you take if you were stranded on a desert island? You know, do we take a fire starter? Do you take a compass? You know, what are you going to take? Well, I tell you, I work with a lot of pastors and encourage pastors and I tell them this, if I'm stranded on the desert island of building God's kingdom, I'm gonna tell you what I'm preaching to you this weekend is gonna be in my bag. I'm gonna double down on it. I'm gonna prioritize it because it's so central to how Jesus distributes who he is. You're like, I'm convinced, how do we get it? How do we get a vision for spiritual family? Number one, you gotta know what it is. What is spiritual family? When I talk about this, I know there are some of you out there it's kind of like this. I think about this all the time. Sorry, it's how my brain works. I'm up here talking about non-disposable relationships, building each other, walking it out, reproducing uh, the kingdom of God, and you're just like, man, what is that? Like the first time we all saw this. You know, there's this thing, it's not a motorcycle, it's not a scooter, like, what is that? And you're like, it's a Segway. You're like, what's a Segway? Now, of course, all the technology people said this would revolutionize the earth, that we would all be riding these to work. Now, only people going on weird tours like this or mall cops use them. <laughs> Come on now. But I realize there's some of you going, 
Huh? Well, look, 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 look. This is the Bible pattern. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Outside of us, God lived relationally within the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they got along pretty good. They walked out complete unity. He starts, the, all of us, we come from Adam, and Adam, it's not good that you're alone, and he gives the natural family, but then quickly God starts bringing forth his plan to bring forth Jesus, and he starts, Abraham, you're the father of faith, and, and, and we see these patterns of what he's building along the way, and, and Jesus gives this great example. Jesus comes not just to be an orator, not just to transfer information, but he lives relationally with his disciples. He had friends. He wept at the funeral of his friend Lazarus. I'm so glad that we don't worship a theory that Jesus is not just a podcast, that Jesus is not just information, but that Jesus lived with people and transferred his very life, and we enjoy the benefit of that today in this worship service. That's how we all got here. And the early church followed his model. And they were with the authentic faith, serving one another, taking communion with one another. And God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved because in the first century, people were just as thirsty for family as they are today. Because that's how God wired us. We're created in his image. We're created in his likeness. And even if we've had pain, we can't dismiss the fact that there's a deep longing on the inside of us for it because it is God's pattern. Ruth, Naomi, David, Jonathan, Elijah, Elisha, Paul, Timothy, and Jesus himself. Here's the second thing. What happens in spiritual family that can't happen anywhere else? See, in our world today, we lose sight of this. This is a very important principle just in general. We think today you can have A and B. In life, life is all about choices. In life, generally when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. So when I said yes to Brandy, I was saying no to a bunch of other choices. Every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another. So here's the deal. You can either be a mob in a gathering or you can be a family. You can't be both. You, you, don't get, you get the messiness of family. And I'm, by the way, it's slow. It's tedious. It's difficult. It's messy. Anybody living in their natural family going, man, this was an easy strategy, God. This was awesome. Put all of us, different personalities, selfish people together, and now we have to get together and be family. Come on, all y'all acting religious that don't know what I'm talking about. My daughter's going off to college. She went for a freshman year, brought more junk back. I'm trying to get junk out of my house. She brought junk back last night. This is my life. I was like, look, let's organize everything. Tomorrow, we're gonna start shipping stuff out, right? Because you're a visitor here. You're a visitor. My job was to get you out of high school, all right? But at this point, y'all know what I'm saying. Well, look, when we, instead of organizing a strategy to relieve the clutter, my wife and her went to a resale shop and bought more clutter to have a fixer-upper project. And when I got home, there's paint all over the place and I got to be a part. It's like, we're going the wrong direction. <laughs> now, I know that's humorous, but we could all think about all kind of messy stuff with family. All kind of, it's, it, you can't have the good without the challenge, but here's some of the good. Five things that we can only get. Number one, multifaceted image of Christ. We, you might have never thought about this, but you as an individual can't fully reflect Christ. I hope you do reflect Christ. But Ephesians 3.10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is expressed to the rulers and principalities through the church. That multifaceted goodness of God is shown through all of us together. So when we bring our gift and you bring your part and all of us together, all of these imperfect people, it's an amazing thing that when we come together, we hear it all the time. 
People come here to Milestone and go, how'd you get that many friendly people? How'd you get that many people that are willing to be a, a, a servant to someone else? Only Jesus. Only Jesus, people from different ethnic backgrounds, spiritual backgrounds, different giftings, different preferences can prefer somebody else. And I'm gonna tell you, in a world today where everybody prefers themselves, when they so show up in the church and see people working in harmony, they go, Jesus. Jesus. Multifaceted. Second of all, personal growth. And I know that's what we're really into. We wanna grow. We wanna grow personally. You say, well, how do you grow? Well, it's a painful process called not only just your natural relationships, but also spiritual family. You can't live most of these New Testament letters that Paul wrote to churches, by the way, if you're not connected to it. Love one another. Those fruits of the Spirit. Patience. Come on now. Anybody need that in their relationships? Patience. How do you learn that? Because you can listen to information and you think I'm dogging information. I thank God for people that listen to the Word. But if we listen to the Word, it should be leading us to this type of activity. It should be leading us to building what Jesus is building. It should be leading us to learn how to prefer one another and have patience for one another. But you can listen all day in your car to all kinds of Bible tapes and get filled with Bible knowledge and you can be like, I am humble, I am humble, I am patient. We'll see. We'll see. When you get in relationships, you find out how to actually apply that. And so you grow. It's just the way it is. That's the way God made it. Generational transfer. I'm passionate about this because I don't want my experience with God to end with me. I hope you feel that way. I want a generation behind us to carry this further than we ever thought it could be carried. But I want to tell you, mobs and masses and gaggles and parliaments don't transfer values to the generation coming behind them. Only families do that. Only families that pay the price have the ability to transfer to the next generation. I'm always hesitant to highlight, again, I tell jokes on my kids, but I, I'm hesitant just to highlight as a pastor, you know, my kids are normal people. But I took my son to college this week. And his last little post when he was here was, thank God for this house. And I thank God for my wife and she's so much better than me and the things we poured in. But I wanna tell you, I wanna thank you. My own children are walking out their destiny because what you've poured into them, what our youth team has poured into them, Retreat leaders have poured into them. Sunday school leaders have poured into them. My kids are growing up. I want that for your kids. See, in a mob, it's just like, I hope everybody gets something to eat. But in a family, you care about other people's kids. You care about them reaching their destiny. Come on, I'm a... You care about, because why? Your kids are my kids. And I want your kids to reach their destiny. That's what families do. Unless the Lord builds the house, you're laboring in vain who build it. It's the children that watch over it when, it comes, when the enemy comes to the gate. Fourth healthy process for pain. We all have painful moments coming. And I'm gonna tell you, you process them different when you have family. Pastor Jed and I have been friends for over 20 years who came up here and preach prayed the prayer. He had four points in a slide. <laughs> Y'all with me? He hadn't been up here in a while. He got up and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. But anyway, no, it's an inside joke. But anyway, we've been friends a long time. What a great honor when you're family to stand with somebody in their hour of need. I was in my time off, but there was nothing gonna stop me from standing with him on this stage to help his, his, his family because his dad passed away. His dad, Ken Walker, who's part of this church, 
And I wanna tell you, Ken was a pastor. And Ken transitioned here to be close to family in his later years. And you should have heard him talk about you. I'm sure Jed will preach about this, but you should have heard him talk about you. I sat with him in his final moments. And I wanna tell you, I've sat with a lot of people in their final moments. Just make sure you're prioritizing the right thing. They're not talking about their 401ks. They're, not talk they're talking about relationships. And I wanna tell you, when he got lung cancer, a man who had never smoked, his prayer group, his 301 group, his spiritual family rallied around him. And I'm amazed by it every time I see it. And he had tears in his eyes. He's like, Pastor Jeff, you have to tell those people. This is crazy. This is, he's just so blown away by it. Because it's so powerful. You process pain different. The fifth is genuine belonging. We all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's why we're created for the church of Jesus Christ to belong and be a part and offer our contribution. And it brings a quality of life and a fulfillment to life. Our worship team gave me one of these. If the camera can zoom in and see what that is. How many of y'all know what this is? Who, who out there knows what this is? All right, this is a tuning fork. I'm not very musically inclined, played with the ball. They tell me this thing is an A. So you hit it, you hold on, and sounds like an A to me. Sounds just like an A, you know? Uh, me, 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 I, I don't know. When I think about the message I'm preaching to you this weekend, I call it a tuning fork message. Some of you are going, is that an A? Keep taking steps. Whether you're outside of Milestone or not, this is God's heart. Is that an A? Some of you are like, oh, I've heard the note. Play it some more. Play it some more. Some of you have been so impacted by it, you're like, play it again, pastor. Play the A again. Because I tell you, if you just attend preaching and information, there will always be a longing in your soul going, is there something else? Is there something else? But if you ever hear that note, oh, play it again, play it again. Some of you are like, how do I become part of it? Well, as I close, it's really this simple. First of all, in a family, there's an environment that says, come enjoy our home. Whether it's a small group or any environment, but just like on a weekend, when you come here, you go, people call it friendly, people call it warm. No, it's family. See, when I go to my son's bachelor pad, they don't make any tea or set out any candles for me. You come to my house, my wife's gonna put some candles out, there's gonna be something to eat, we're gonna have some appetizers, you're gonna walk in and go, wow, you were expecting me. My son's place, not gonna happen. It's gonna smell a lot worse than candles. But in a family, there's a warm environment. Thank you to every single one of you that make people feel warm, welcome, accepted, who are hurting, who have challenges, who feel on the outside. Thank you to every one of you that do that. But you know, a family goes a little bit further. A family not only is warm and inviting, a family says, come be part of our family. We want your contribution. We want you to grow. We want you to be a part of it. And that's why we have the grow track and the steps that we give you so you can be part of the family. And then it gets really powerful. You know how you really experience family? When you bring your contribution. See, I didn't really like the resale fixer-upper project, but I got to nail some things on that thing and paint it last night. Now I have a vision for it. Are you with me? It's just how it works. I've heard lots of people go, 
Ah, no one's ever been family to me. You can't sit on the back row and live as a consumer and experience the contribution of family. When you begin to contribute, I've, I've met hundreds of people go, I've never experienced that. I've never met a person who contributes, who engages, who offers their part, and when they get offended, not if, gets over it, that doesn't hear the note that I'm playing. But you have to be a part of that process. We have a thing called 301, which is just a practical step for some of you new folks that could really help you in the process. So I encourage you with that. Pastor Jed will have a little bit more to tell you about it. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you today that if one person is lost today, you want them in your family. You can just simply say to Jesus, Jesus, come into my life. Become my Lord and Savior. Become my Jesus. I believe you died for me, rose from the dead. Make it your words. Become my Jesus. And he'll come in and he'll make you a part of his family. Let someone know. Go to 101. Come forward so we can help you start taking your steps. But second of all, Lord, we ask you to help us. Help us in our busy, scattered lives that don't really know how to prioritize what's important to you. And Lord, we get hurt and we, we walk through things, but just help us. Go beyond my words today, Lord. Speak by your spirit that I'm limited, but you're unlimited. Lord, help us to be able to prioritize what you've called us to so we actually will be the beneficiaries of doing it your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.